0: Hello there, and welcome to a new conversation with a new friend.
1: Just moving in some way that you're not supposed to move, it's this very footloose thing where like, dancing is taboo, and moving and being comfortable with movement is, is odd.
0: I'm Dodie Axelson, host of Get to Know an Average Joe. Shall we? Today's guest is Amber Alberti, and Amber before we get to your history and your childhood what i would like you to share is a description of when you teach pilates how you describe an exercise because you're one of the most visual speakers i've ever heard
1: i really want to use the the cues And the information that I've learned to get people to feel the most out of their exercises. Because I've really learned that you don't need to do 100 reps of something. You don't need to throw yourself against the wall. You just need to find out how to talk to yourself. And once you figure out how to talk to yourself, it's so much more effective. So... That's really a lot of where I come from, that sort of um, reaching into the earth to extend up and that duality of finding out how to work really hard, but do it from a lengthening place and do it from a spreading, expanding place. Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> I find that such an interesting way to talk because, of course, that's not conversational. You don't run into people who talk about lengthening or who talk about turning hip bones and things like that. Is, is that how you talk to yourself?
1: Well, I grew up dancing, and my mom was a massage therapist. So for sure, from a young age, I would be told, like, take some big big breaths. And my dad meditated. So I had some sort of early influences. And then with dance, it's always about reaching, you know, making the movement look like it's going beyond where you're actually physically moving. So I'm, you know, absolutely pulled that in. And then just 13 years of being around Pilates instructors, it's wonderful because when I started, I felt... Like people probably saw me as like a jazzercise teacher, which is a wonderful thing to be also. But, you know, like it was sort of the stereotype and, and people still say, oh, you teach yoga. And they didn't. And I had felt like I had just entered like the world of choreo. I had I was working with choreographers in San Francisco and dancers and it felt um, like exercise, intellectual exercise. I felt like I was really were like talking about muscles and movements and rhythms and bone rhythms and I guess, just 13 years of that and and it working for me.
0: So your dance background is something that you and I share because I also have a dance background. And I think that it's, it's fascinating to think about when you, when you don't ultimately have a career in dance, but you have that background in dance, you're already, you're already burned into it, right? How has that shaped who you are today?
1: Hugely. I, in my 20s, after sort of accepting I probably wouldn't be a prima ballerina, you know, for the fifth time, like that final acceptance, and went and moved to Olympia, Washington to go to college, I tried to stuff that dancer away. And all I can say, it was like a big black hole. You- and it, it was like, I, it wouldn't leave me alone. It's
0: all or nothing. Mm-hmm. So, is that what you mean by shoving
1: that dancer away? Yes, yes. It's really hard. It's really um, competitive.
0: So, who were you in Olympia? If you were this not dancer, who were you?
1: <laughs> well, I was really um, socially and actively in different ways involved in the punk rock scene. Like, I would be a part of my friends' art projects. Um, once I mud wrestled at an art show, <laughs> I did, you know, photo shoots for people's. Projects we did plays we did, you know all kinds of different things and I think I it came back again and again like we did a kind of a performance where one of my um, college performances and it was I'm forgetting all the vocabulary but it was a physical art performance and you know and I would just they would come back and come back and then my doing just
0: <laughs> I didn't always coming an, back to dance somehow
1: yeah and I didn't have an exercise routine that was huge like I was seriously disciplined in ballet from a very young age. I would always go to dance class. I would do all my classes. I would get straight A's because I went to a performing arts school. That was never a problem. And then I didn't have a gym routine. So that was a really awkward thing was, like, trying to go to the gym and trying to fit into what other people considered exercise. And so there was this period of, yeah, not really doing any exercise or, like, turning the music on and just dancing in my living room. A lot of that from time to time when that energy was, like, bubbling up and I had to get it out and making up, like, little – exercise routines or remembering what I did all those years in different dance classes because I did a in my performing arts school we did I think what would be called hip-hop now it was called street dancing then (laughs) modern tap jazz ballet my focus was ballet but we did a little bit of all of it so yeah I think I was lost I was lost and then my last year of college somehow I don't remember I did a modern dance project for one of my classes still in Olympia yeah in Olympia my second to last year I did a modern dance project so that was me dancing all by myself that was the most vulnerable thing I think I've ever done because I was just practicing on my own and um the day that I performed that in just a small studio on the college campus, it wasn't like with a auditorium, it was all my most intimate friends. I just cannot, I have never duplicated such an intimate experience in <laughs> my whole life. And my professor, like my best friends, ex-boyfriends, like it was all, it just the way it happened was one of the most intimate things I've ever done. And I think back to that, like, I can't believe I pulled through that. And it was, it was a real, it was a really important moment for
0: me. Painfully intimate or rewardingly intimate? Both. Both. How? I just felt so vulnerable,
1: but I felt really glad that I did it. I didn't feel like I flopped, like I pulled the the show off, you know, and I felt like I had done a good job and everything like that to what I had set myself up for. During that time, I had really low blood pressure, 60 over 38, which is what I called my dance performance. (laughs)
0: And so I was also dealing... Now you sound like a marathon runner, knowing exactly what your pulse rate, your...
1: I named my dance performance after it because it was so bizarre. Everyone was asking me, like, how are you walking around? How are you functioning? I was. I never fainted, but it was It was a little bit... Like, I think I, I was down psychologically because of that, because I, the low blood pressure. So it was just a really, really vulnerable time, like, health-wise and standing up in front of all my peers in my professor. And then my last year of college, um, I went to Brazilian dance class. And I had also throughout those years, my best friend in during those years was a gymnast. And she was kind of up for the Olympic path. (laughs) she didn't get there. But um, she like went to different states and had been very professional about it. So we shared that.
0: You go through that journey, you go through so much preparation, and you have your eye on the goal the whole time. And then the goal suddenly shifts. How did it work for you when you when the goal shifted, and it was no longer be a dancer?
1: During college, I realized that I was smart. I remember literally, it was maybe... Maybe it was just my first year. It's kind of a blur of what day it was, but I remember specifically being in a hallway for seminar. I opened up a book that was the text we were reading and I wrote in the back. I can be a philosopher, I can be this, I can be that. It was just, it was that literal moment of like, if I want to do it, I can do it. Brazilian dance was exciting. So ballet felt, it, that's like, you have your time to do that, right? And after a certain age, you're considered done, just like gymnastics. Honestly, I look back and I'm like, I, I could have continued in so many directions at 19 years old, but I definitely felt
0: like done. I felt. Isn't like, that incredible yeah. how mm-hmm. the worship of youth is so ingrained?
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think there's several factors. My mom supported me and my grandparents supported me and helped pay for my classes. I was very supported in dancing, but it wasn't pushed after high school. And so I feel like that would have made a difference had I actually been pushed to apply to a college that was a performing arts college. And I have mixed feelings about that because part of me feels like I would have done that, you know, like I could have done that. I wouldn't have said no to that. But,
0: And now you're about to turn 40. So what uh-huh. is your attitude to youth and and g- growing more mature, shall we say?
1: I, I like my age. It's exciting. You know, there's moments where you're like, I am older. I'm not, you know, this age or that age that I've already been. But just like I said, when I look back on that 19-year-old, it's like, I, I want to remember that now, because I know a lot of people who dance in their 40s and, and and on, and I want to not feel like the doors are closing.
0: If the Brazilian dancing led you to this love for all things South American, <laughs> is your husband included in that story?
1: So my relationship with Brazil, like the dance, like the music, was really infectious. Like, we would call ourselves Brazilophiles, and there's lots of us and we were just obsessed it's just like once you get the dance down or the music down it's like speaking another language fluently and it's so exhilarating um so I was so focused on Brazil and then I got to a point where yeah I was like god I gotta think about something else like I'm a little too felt what to like stuck in this path of My whole world in San Francisco was about Brazil, and I was speaking Portuguese. And I one day went to a coffee shop, and I pulled a Vita, a book about a Vita, off the Mm -hmm. shelf. And within that year or some months, I met my husband, who's from Argentina. And I don't have the same relationship with Argentina as I did with Brazil, because it's such a different culture and country. But yeah, I mean, in a way, because our first conversation was about how I had traveled to Brazil and how I was going to be dancing for this group from Brazil called Olodum. So um, that was our first conversation, absolutely. Wow. But
0: a... in San Francisco, you met in San Francisco?
1: Mm-hmm. We met at, um, when I was working at a Senegalese restaurant. Oh,
0: <laughs> my goodness, all the flavor, all the color. <laughs> Amazing. How did you end up there?
1: I was working at a um, building management company and as I said I had like I felt like everyone around me was really excited about this career path and I was dancing in the hallways and I just couldn't wait till five to get off work and go put on my dance clothes and go to my dance classes so uh, my heart was not in it. and I finally just said, I'm gonna go to waitressing and there was stigma about waitressing too. I got shamed for like stretching <laughs> my desk and stuff <laughs> you know just stretching my arms. Like I felt like I was inappropriate. I felt like... How
0: strange to move like that in a business office.
1: That would definitely be like the life of a dancer feeling physically inappropriate in a place. I've had that a lot. Mm -hmm. People say things like, you're comfortable with your body or weird things. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. You know, I'm
0: just moving. That's an insult to be comfortable with your body.
1: Right. Or just moving in some way that you're not supposed to move. It's this very footloose thing where like dancing is taboo and moving and being comfortable with movement is
0: is odd. So you, you met your husband in San Francisco, but you and I are sitting and speaking uh, together in Mexico City. Uh, there have been other countries, other cities on your path here. Uh, what are those and how have they shaped your current your current you?
1: Well, we were in San Francisco. I was in San Francisco a total of nine years when my husband and I were there together for about seven. Then we moved to Encinitas for his work. And um, then we came to Mexico City for his work. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting. I thought that traveling was sort of off limits after having kids, at least for a good chunk of time. So it's really exciting to be here. And it does tie a lot of things together. How so? I've always wanted to live abroad. I went to France for three months. I went to Brazil for three months. But I never got to live years or a year somewhere. So I never thought at almost 40 with two kids I would get to live abroad, finally, like I thought I would in college. <laughs>
0: and your year number what in Mexico.
1: Um, In July, it'll be two years, so in two months.
0: Right. So how do you think that that feels as as an American living in Mexico? A common expat experience is that you become more patriotic when you live abroad. Do you recognize that at all?
1: Funny, funny question now (laughs) that we're looking at Trump and Clinton, who... Absolutely. When I was a 16 year old, I was excited for the potential of Clinton. And now it just all feels really complicated to me. So I miss things about the US. I don't know that I see it any differently. I've always seen it as really complex. I grew up feeling like I had lived abroad, even though I never had. Mm-hmm. We kind of just always...
0: our house. Well, not everybody's dad <laughs> meditates and not everybody's <laughs> mom is a masseuse.
1: Right, and my mom was an artist, and we had gardens and made our own food, and yeah, we didn't have... I thought people who had, like, processed crackers in their house
0: were like, woo, you're really... <laughs> That's really thrilling. Was that fun? Was that what you wanted?
1: Oh, yeah, Cheez-Its in high school. I went to my friend's house, and I, I mean... I don't think I thought she was rich, but I, there was some sort of economic association, even though I knew that my parents' and my mom's choices about food were really about health. But ultimately, when I go to the store, I shop the way I was raised.
0: What do you suppose your sons are getting from having their their youthful years here in Mexico City?
1: I'm really grateful. There's some obvious challenges like pollution and big city life, traffic, dangerous traffic. (laughs) They get to speak Spanish fluently with their family in Argentina. That's huge. That was always very important to us. Um, They will also go back to the U.S. I'm from mainly California. Um, And there's just a lot of dynamics between the U.S. and Latin America. And there's a lot of, you know, Mexicans living in um, California. And I just feel like they're never going to see it the Same. They're gonna know that Mexico's dynamic and diverse and exciting, and they're just gonna know that culture. And it feels really important to me because Mexico's a neighbor, I think we all could know a little bit better.
0: Final question is just uh, for you to describe your favorite day.
1: Wow, here in Mexico, I guess, my most current.
0: Anywhere you want.
1: <laughs> in, in some way, all the typical things like having done Pilates or having gone to a dance class or getting some exercise, eating well, and then having that taken care of, then being able to be present with my family and just laugh and have fun. So when all that can line up and happen well, that's a pretty great day.
0: That's Amber Alberti and how she sorted out life after ballet. Have you ever spoken to a shepherd? The sheep now
1: stay mostly on the valley floor. It's a mountain valley where I grew up. And they, they need to get moved from field to field because as they graze, they overgraze the fields. So you have to herd them from one field to the next. And that was kind of our first job as kids.
0: We'll get to know Savannah Spillers on the next episode. And now, if you'll excuse me.